So I have the privilege of capping off our rock solid series. We've covered a lot of ground, haven't we? Pastor Jessica started us off telling us how we can build a rock solid life on Jesus Christ that will weather the storms of this life, this life. I preached about how you can put on the new self. Pastor Lenny preached about how we should open the aperture of our heart so that Christ's light can shine in. Pastor Chris preached on reconciliation. He preached on how we needed faith that's both wide in our evangelistic mindset and deep in our discipleship. And he also talked about how we should move from a self-centered mindset to a mission-centered mindset. And just last week, Pastor Jessica talked to us about how we can find our part in God's grand master plan. So you figured out how to do all that, right? You're now a rock-solid Christian, I hope. So the holidays are just around the corner, and so is that spare tire that doesn't look as good on us as it does on a Jeep Wrangler, right? And soon we'll be able to be enticed by ads that say the following things. Get the gym body without going to the gym. Get high school skinny. Lose 20 pounds a week, guaranteed. Get shredded abs fast. Our undergarments will destroy your fat cells. Just take this pill, do this exercise, buy this article piece of of clothing, drink this shake, pour this on your food, sell us your soul. It's that easy. No effort, no sweat. You'll shred the pounds, right? Wouldn't it be nice if there was something like that in the Christian life that didn't require a lot of effort but had great results? Could there be some sort of cheat code, some sort of shortcut like that in the Christian life? We've covered a lot of ground, like I've said, and so much ground even that it seems overwhelming. Is there one thing that we could focus on in the midst of that that would guarantee us massive spiritual results. So I want to scan with you through the book of Ephesians and see if we can find it. So the first thing that comes to my mind is if we're looking for this shortcut is Ephesians chapter 4. Paul talks about how we are to live a manner worthy of the calling to which we're called. And two, in chapter 1, Paul talks about how we've obtained an inheritance and we've been predestined according to God's great purpose. So to me, this sounds like we've already got a whole bunch of power in our hands. God has already granted us something. So maybe, just maybe, the secret is that I need to trick myself that I am mature when I'm not. I just need to claim it, right? I just need to convince myself. It's just simple psycho-spiritual gymnastics. I just need to convince myself that I'm more mature than I am. But now that I'm saying that out loud, that doesn't sound like such a great idea. So maybe that one's off the list. So not name it, claim it. But we talked a lot in this series about unity. In fact, Pastor Chris had a whole sermon just dealing with reconciliation. But even in the rest of the sermons, we brought up the idea of how the Jews and the Gentiles were supposed to unite in the family of God. And so what if the answer, the shortcut to spiritual growth is just focusing on unity? We just need to have a pizza party and quit having all of our petty arguments and get together. Be unified. And you know, that does make sense, right? Because when we're in a team, when we're unified, we have accountability. We have encouragement. But then again, there are a lot of people who are really close-knit 
but are still just as complacent as they were when they were individually alone. Okay, but we didn't really go into depth about the armor of God. And that's at the end of the book. Pastor Jessica referenced it, but we didn't like get down into the nitty gritty with this. So maybe the answer is that I need to put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. I've got to really tighten this, the belt of truth after all the carrot cake that you gave me for Pastor Appreciation Month. And the gospel of peace, the sandals of the gospel of peace, and the, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. So if I just focus on my salvation, focus on my righteousness that Christ has given me, focus on his gospel, focus on his truth, now that I'm saying that out loud, it might be effective, but that's a lot to remember. That's a little more effort than I really want to put in. So maybe that's not the shortcut either. Okay, but we did talk about just one article of clothing, the new self. That, that's just a little bit easier, right? I just need to focus on putting on the new self. Just try a little harder to put on the new self and put away the old self. But now that I'm thinking about it, this kind of sounds like the cycle that I've always been in, maybe that you have found yourself in, where it's like, well, just quit it or just do it. And we respond, well, you don't understand. It's not that easy. Just do it. It's not that easy. So is there an answer? Is there a shortcut in this book or not? But Pastor Jessica did just preach last week on this verse how Paul talks about he has a specific grace, a specific calling in his life. And a specific calling is to preach the gospel to the whole world, not just to the Jews, but to let the ends of the earth know of the riches of Christ, of the Christ's wisdom. And you know, Paul seems to do pretty good in this position. So maybe the answer is I need to find my calling, my role, and then I'll thrive. I need to get in the right place. I mean, at the end of the book, Paul does talk about different roles in the family, too. I know that's not exactly the same as calling, but if I just figure out my place in this world, then I'll spiritually grow, won't I? But then again, once again, there are a lot of people who are in their role, are in the place where God has called them, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily growing. But this word grace keeps coming up over and over and over in this book. We have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. By grace you have been saved. By God's grace given to me. Grace was given to each one of us. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace upon grace. Paul says it 12 times in the whole letter. That's enough for each one of the disciples. That's enough to cover over a whole box of donuts from poppies. That's a lot of grace. Paul keeps saying it over and over and over. And the thing that catches my eye about this is that the nature of grace is that it's a gift. It's not something I've earned. You know, all these other examples that we've looked at in Ephesians have been talking about trying. You just need to try harder to put on the new self. You just need to try harder to be more unified. You just need to try harder to do this, and then you'll grow. This doesn't seem to be the case. The nature of grace is that it's a gift. It's not an award from accomplishment. Grace saved us. Grace gave us a calling, and we didn't even have to try harder. That sounds pretty easy to me, right? That's because grace 
leads to spiritual growth. Grace leads to spiritual growth. Not trying harder, just more grace. Believing that you can do any of this without God's help, anything that God has asked you to do, anything that calling that God has put on your life without God's help is heresy. It's something called Pelagianism. You can never do it without the Lord. But the question is, if grace is the answer to spiritual growth, if this is the secret, the get spiritually fit quick scheme, then how do I get it? You see, directly preceding this prayer that we're focusing on today that Josh read for us, again, Paul is talking about how his calling is to preach to the whole world the riches of the gospel of Christ, right? And then he starts off this section in this prayer. For this reason, I pray. In other words, as a result of the fact that I have this calling, as a result of the fact that I have this gift, this grace in my life, I'm praying. And he never says grace in this whole section, 14 through 21, but he's talking about grace. He doesn't have to say it out loud for it to be grace. Listen to this. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, that you may have the strength to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to his power at work within us. If we're to know the love of Christ, if we're to be filled with the fullness of God, that's not something that can come as a result of us trying harder. That's something that can only come by the grace of God. So grace saves Paul by faith. Grace gives Paul a calling, and then Paul asks for grace to fulfill that calling, and then even concludes the letter, if you turn to the last chapter, asking that the Ephesians pray for him so that he might have words to spread the gospel. Not Again, not saying the word grace, but asking for grace to be poured out in his life. The only reason that Paul authored most of the New Testament, the only reason that Paul is remembered to us today as a saint in the church is not because he was great within himself, but because he relied on God's grace over and over and over. It didn't matter how far he got in his walk. He was always saying, Lord, I need your grace. Pray for grace for me. And this is because grace is given to those who admit their need for it and then ask for it. Grace is given to those who admit their need for it and ask for it. And the primary means of recognizing our need for grace and then asking for it is prayer. Prayer doesn't guarantee grace, but it seems like a pretty surefire way to go after it. I love this quote from Thomas Oden, a famous theologian who says this, quote, God does not withhold from sinners sufficient grace to resist temptation and repent when they sin. The defect lies not in the grace of God, but in the sinner who refuses or neglects the means of grace. No sinner is without the grace of prayer, the exercise of which enables further strengthening by grace, unquote. God's grace 
is inexhaustible. The question isn't whether there's enough available for you to be transformed into the person God has called you to be. The question is whether or not you're humble enough to recognize it and then ask for it. But you see, something peculiar happens in the church, even in the Protestant church that has championed this idea that we are saved by grace and not by works. That's Ephesians, by the way, right? We just talked about that earlier. But for some reason, we get people saved, and then there's like this unspoken rule. It seems like we just leave grace at the door. It's like now that you're in, grace was special. You had that special moment with the Lord when he led him to yourself, when you, you were led to him, rather. But... Now that you're here, you need to try harder to be like Christ. It's in you. You can do it. Come on now. But then my mind is brought to this scene, this famous scene in the book, the film, Oliver Twist. So if you've never seen it, if you've never read it, Oliver Twist is about an orphan, ends up in an orphanage, and he is eating porridge with his friends. He only gets one bowl, and he goes up to the server and says, please, sir, I want some more. And what's the response? More? <laughs> In other words, you shouldn't need any more. You've had enough. But deep down inside of all of us, whether we believe it or not, there's a little Oliver Twist saying, please, sir, I want some more. Please, sir. I need some more. If I have any chance of doing the things that you have asked me to do, of doing the things you've called me to do, I need your grace. You had to ask for grace to be saved. Why shouldn't you have to ask for grace as you continually walk with Christ, as you are continually sanctified? as you continually grow in Christ's likeness. The truth of the Christian life is that it's a never-ending journey of recognizing our need for God's grace and asking for it. And while self-control, discipline, and self-denial are hailed as Christian virtues, God is much more satisfied with you being a glutton of his grace than he is of you being a glutton of your effort. But isn't that cheating? Isn't that not okay to use God's power to do God's will? It's the only way. It's not cheating. So are you lacking unity? There's grace for that. Are you failing to put on the new self? There's grace for that. Are you failing to let Christ's light shine into your heart? There's grace for that. Are you failing to know God's part for you in his grand master plan? There's grace for that. There's grace for all of it. You just have to ask for it. So what's the secret? What's the shortcut to spiritual growth? The posture of prayer. The posture of recognizing our need for grace and then asking for it. Mature Christians are grace gluttons. They've been cheating the whole time by using God's grace to accomplish God's will. Prayer is the place to ask for grace. Prayer is the place to ask for grace. It's the appropriate place to say, please, sir, I want some more. Please, God, I need some more grace. If I am ever able to do what you've asked me to do, it'll only be by the power of you that is at work within me. You're not going to reach maturity without a prayer life with like that. 
If you're missing it in your spiritual diet, then you're malnourished. You're stunted. You're probably stuck. So what's the application to this message? It's really quite simple. Prayer. Are you regularly going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I don't have enough in me to do what you've asked, and I need your power? I'm not talking about your normal, you know, pray, bless his food. I'm asking you, do you regularly go before the Lord and say, please, sir, I want some more of you. I want some more of your power. I want to be more like Christ, and I can't do it without your power. Is that a part of your life? But sometimes we get intimidated. We think about people like Martin Luther who prayed for three hours a day or John Wesley who prayed for two hours a day and we're like, yeah, I can't do that. So it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It's just a regular practice of going before the Lord. It could be five minutes. You just attach it to brushing your teeth, when your morning routine, when you're doing your hair, when you're getting ready for bed, something, just a place within your day where you open up your hands and say, please, God, I want some more. And not only for you, but for other people as well, because that's what Paul did. He recognized his own need for grace, asked for it, asked for other people to pray for him, but was also praying for grace to be poured out on other people's lives. So not only asking for grace in your life, but asking that he might transform this whole earth by his grace into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And what a more perfect day to talk about the continual need to ask for grace than a communion Sunday as I invite the worship team up as we draw to a close in this sermon. Communion, like prayer, is what we call a means of grace. A place where we humble ourselves before the Lord asking that he would pour out his grace on us. And so if you also do not have communion elements at this time, raise your hand and our ushers will get them to you. It's a place where we recognize that we continually need to be filled with Christ so that we might act in Christ-likeness. It's never something that we can do on our own. And so as we pray and consecrate these elements, let this be an act, a response, through which we might offer ourselves before the Lord, recognize our need for his grace, and receive it. Now that we've partaken in the grace of communion, I want to challenge you today. If you feel the Spirit stirring within your heart, saying, yes, that's me. Yes, there is a little Oliver Twist in me saying, please, God, I want some more. The altar is open as the worship team plays the song, Give Me Faith. And may your prayer be, Lord, give me faith in your grace. Give me faithfulness in asking for your grace in my life and in others. The altar is open, and God's grace is overwhelmingly available. Come as you feel led.